So you can call me a hater. I've been called a scandal hater from the beginning. I'm not a scandal hater. Um, I, think, I think that love can happen. Wait a minute. Wait. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I think Beyonce just released an album on iTunes. What? Oh, what? my God. Oh, my God. Whoa. Whoa. Oh, my God. Whoa. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh my God. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of A Very Special Episode, a podcast where I get to curl up on the sofa and watch TV with some of my favourite people. Uh, Another episode uh, that's been a long time coming. As I said the last time I spoke to you, it's uh, ironically working on a top secret TV project has kept me away from my other other uh, pastime of, of, of talking to people about TV. Um, so I've got a really exciting episode that I recorded a couple of months ago now with David Chapakupaku, and we'll be talking about an episode of Scandal. I, I'd never watched Scandal before and I still not had a chance to watch any more of it, but it did pique my interests. I've been using the top of these episodes to talk to you about TV that I've been watching and, and one thing that I did want to talk about, it's a little bit old news now, but one thing I did want to talk about was the Neighbours finale. Neighbours, uh, for people who, who don't know, is a long-running soap from Australia. A uh, long-running uh, continuing drama, as, as the people in the industry call it. Uh, a long-running soap from Australia about the residents of a, a, a sort of Australian street called Ramsey Street. And Neighbours is probably best known for being the, the, the place where Kylie Minogue got her start. Um, other people that got their starts in Neighbours include Margot Robbie, uh, Guy Pearce, Jason Donovan, Natalie Imbruglia, Liam Hemsworth, Delta Goodrum. Yeah, so so it's kind of famous for cre- like starting the careers for all of these Australian actors. Although for, for a, a good long while now, it's probably had a much bigger audience in the UK than it has in Australia itself. And, and for a good 10 years, I think, uh, Channel 5 in the UK has been basically paying for Neighbours to exist and recently they've decided to stop doing that so Neighbours aired its last episode a couple of weeks ago now uh, and I thought it was really nice. Uh, it was a an episode kind of built, mainly built around Guy Pearce's character, Mike Young, and plain Jane Superbrain, his, his, his girlfriend uh, and they were both in the show in the 80s. Uh, Kylie Minogue came back, Jason Donovan came back uh, and it was just this really nice kind of uh, nostalgic uh, for, for someone like me who hasn't watched Neighbours for a while and, and my sort of era of watching Neighbours would have been in the in the early 2000s um, I really loved and quite fancied a character called Taj Coppin I think who I have looked up recently and he just I don't know what I was thinking girls I don't know what I was thinking girls um, <laughs> so there you go um, but yeah just a nice nostalgic uh, celebration of the series with lots of cameos um, from its stars, including Holly Valance, who uh, has sort of blotted her copybook recently by being pictured at Mar-a-Lago with uh, Donald Trump and Nigel Farage, disappointingly. Um, but yeah, it was a really nice nostalgic episode that ended with this this quite kind of poignant monologue, I guess, from Susan Kennedy, who's one of the, the, the longest running characters on the show, talking about what makes a street and, and is it the houses or is it the people? And obviously for Susan, it was the people. And, and we got some little cameos, even from people who are no longer 
of this earth in the canon of the show. Uh, a long-running character called Harold, who disappeared for a while and then came back with amnesia. Uh, his wife from the show, Madge, she died a few years ago in 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 the series uh, she's alive in real life uh, and she kind of made a little appearance as a I guess as a ghost I don't know I love a soap ghost I love a soap ghost anyway I've gone a bit weird this week I do apologize uh, I'm off to Edinburgh TV festival tomorrow so that's why this maybe is a little bit weird than the usual um so I'm gonna I'm gonna shut up but yeah go and watch that that last episode of Neighbours. And here we go with this week's episode. It's David Chapaku Paku. My very special guest this week is David Chapaku Paku. David is a journalist that works for a broadcaster that covers UK and international news stories. He's also a podcaster and writer, and he once did Thought for the Day for BBC Radio Scotland. <laughs> Didn't think you'd actually keep that in. <laughs> Hello, David. Hello. What did you talk about on Thought for the Day? Um, so it was, <laughs> I was, I was 16 <laughs> and I did the story of Esther and I, I talked about how we can use, because obviously you want thoughts of the day to be applicable to everybody, not just people mm. from your religious background or who are akin to that. And I used it as I kind of go into this new year with confidence because Esther had the confidence to go up to her then husband and say, hey, things aren't all right. Please, please help me, even though she could have been killed for it. So yeah. That's what I talked about. I think it's still on the internet somewhere if you want to really listen to uh-huh. it. <laughs> yeah, I was I was going to include this in your bio, but I felt like it was not the right note to start <laughs> with. But you are disgustingly young, that's right. <laughs> that, that is correct, yes. <laughs> well, I always start by asking people what they watched when they were younger. I feel like so, that's like so five years, years ago, ago. What I was <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what did you like watching? When you were yeah, for, for context, I I am twenty two. Um, twenty two. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're very accomplished for a twenty two year old. I was definitely not doing what you're doing at twenty two. I didn't really have a personality till I was twenty five. So. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that is a lie. I don't believe you for a second with that. <laughs> what did I watch when I was younger? I mean, if we're starting off when I was really young, one of the, like, the first things I remember watching was kind of like wholesome cottage core, like animated stuff. Mm. So Percy the Park Keeper, Brambly Hedge, The Wind <laughs> in the Willows. Oh, that's very wholesome. Does, does it, do people know about Brambly Hedge? I feel like it was just a thing that my grandmother knew (laughs) (laughs) i don't know about it i have to admit i believe it was like a series of books that were like really beautifully drawn about these little creatures that lived in a tree and then for some reason someone did a probably probably bbc in the late 80s early 90s (laughs) did like stop motion animation of some of the adventures and it included going up for a hill a hill walk and then there was one with like a massive banquet where they found out that some of the tree had like secret passageways and slides and things and it was yeah it was very wholesome like really nice comforty cozy kind of stuff that you want to watch when you're a small child and I guess I probably would watch it again now. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a yeah, it's a very difficult time at the moment. I feel like that would that's about what I can cope with at this stage. And a difficult time. What do you mean? <laughs> well, yes, wouldn't like to say. Wouldn't like to say. But um, yeah, anything else that you were watching when you were younger? That I mean, so as I got older, I kind of got into more. I guess for a child, gritty dramas. <laughs> Sarah Jane Adventures, 
was yeah yeah love. that was love it i guess it was quite revolutionary really because there aren't very many other programs that are aimed at kids and young tweens that i can think of the top of my head that have like a woman who's in her late 50s early 60s is like the lead character yeah yeah and it's not really talked about and it's not really mentioned and she's just this cool kick-ass fun lovable you know protective person who just mm. like goes about her day-to-day business and fires aliens. I love that. And I just, yeah, I just think that that's really quite revolutionary in some ways. It shouldn't be revolutionary, having no. having women over the age of 50 on screen. <laughs> but it is, like, if you think about it, for, for especially for kids' TV. Yeah, yeah, but not just for kids' TV. And definitely the um, the sonic lipstick. And <laughs> Oh, yeah, there were bits of it that was like, Ugh. <laughs> I love it. It's camp. <laughs> Why couldn't she just have a sonic pen? You know, she was a journalist. Why couldn't she just have a pen? It was established in the canon by them. Oh, my gosh. I love it. I love it. Uh, I was going to say, I, I also watched news quite a lot, surprisingly, for a small child. Because uh, um, my dad always had it on in the background. And so, one, yeah, one of my early memories is watching the now defunct BBC2 business programme, Working Lunch, which was presented by Adrian Childs. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I just have memories of it because it had this really zingy theme tune. And it was, the, the title sequence was like a small goldfish being chased around by a shark. Uh, yes that rings a bell yeah. now. yes yes but, but obviously like things that you shouldn't really put your child in front of when they're like five business <laughs> programs bbc2 daytime and adrian Childs, and the combination <laughs> of like, the worst possible things you could put your child in front of Aww. but i loved it because i was just like they're just talking i just like people talking and then obviously we had like tea time news tea time news circa 2006 Oh, like just tea time television in general, circa 2006 on BBC One was, I think, some of the peaks of daytime TV. Because you had Neighbours at Five, and then you had The Weakest Link with Anne Robertson leering at you and shouting horrible things at people. <laughs> it probably, you know, in retrospect, much of it was very classist and misogynistic. But when you're five, you don't really notice those things. <laughs> and then you had George Alagaya at six o'clock telling you what was going on around the world. And I thought that was quite fun. You can't get better. No, you can't. What more does one need in life? <laughs> Um, what sort of stuff do you like watching now what's your go-to genres oh now i mean i love a drama <laughs> mama <laughs> i love the drama <laughs> I, I you know it's it's probably about as patriotic I, as i get but i don't think any other country on the planet maybe apart from south korea does like big bold luscious drama like britain does I think I think we're I think we're quite unique in that. I mean, America has this like really gloss over it that I often. I mean, I, I chose an American program that is an American mm. drama as my episode, but like I think so often American drama just has this gloss over it that I it doesn't feel very real. Yeah, and, and I think that we in the UK are really good at doing like real human stories, like Keeping Faith, Happy Valley. The Fall, Line of Duty, those are kind of like, especially when I was kind of getting access to TV on my own, I didn't have someone watching over my shoulder. When I was kind of around 15, 16, I was starting to watch these like big dramas. I remember watching The Fall when I was 16, it freaked me the hell out because it is, <laughs> it's a creepy show. It's a creepy show. You've got, you've got Ashling B and you just kind of want to shout at the TV, no, Ashling, he's evil. Don't. Is this the stalker? <laughs> is that the stalker? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's Jamie Jordan and Gillian, um, I was going to say Gillian Reynolds, but she's the radio columnist for the eye. Um, 
Gillian oh my god oh, this Gillian is so Anderson. bad right. Gillian Anderson that's yes. so bad that's so bad <laughs> there's a black mark in your game <laughs> oh the, the suffixes are going to come after me oh that's really bad no but like <laughs> so Gillian Anderson um, leaves London and goes to, to Northern Ireland to solve this spate of murders that are happening of these young women and it's actually all being done by Jamie Dornan who then a few years later got cast in Fifty Shades of Grey so, so he did so yeah. he did so I think part of the reason he got cast in it because he does creepy horrible person very well but I'm still kind of like no, but in, in this series, he's actually murdering people as opposed to Fifty Shades of Grey, where he's just a very kinky man. <laughs> but yes, it's I don't think any other country really does drama on the same level as us. No, I would agree. I would agree. It's just a very different tone to American drama mm. and a very different, even just looks different. Like, yeah. I, I always think that, like, I mean, it's terrible to say, but like actors in the UK... Sometimes if you've watched a lot of American stuff and they're all very glossy and put together and then you watch a drama from the UK, there's just a lot of bad teeth and slightly weird hair and I kind of love it. <laughs> but it's, that's, it, that's, it, that's exactly it. It's human. It's realistic. It's not fine-tuned and photoshopped to like a, an inch of its life and glossy. It's like yes. it's real people who look real and sound real and are real and that's what I love about it. Yes, we have a lot of, I, I feel like there's a lot of talking in kitchens in UK dramas, and mm -hmm. I mean that in the best possible way. We'll come on to this later, but US dramas, they love a set. Oh, they love a set. Oh, they love a set. <laughs> a regular set that they come back to and they look, ah, oh, that's a set, that's the a moment. A location. Yes. Oh, location. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's your comfort watch? What's the show that you keep going back to? Oh, there's so many. There's so many. I actually, I did this TikTok quite there today, actually. Uh, well, at time of recording, <laughs> where I, it asked you, like, what's your comfort shows and what do they tell you about your state of your mental health? Um, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this one was under the category, I'm feeling too much and I don't want to feel anything else. Um, which <laughs> were, And it's, um, I'm Alan Partridge. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm quite surprised by that one. Well, yeah. So I, I remember finding Alan Partridge, I mean, I've worked in radio for some time now hmm. and when i was about 13 or 14 i was like volunteering at a local station and this producer was making references i was like what, what's this show that he keeps talking about and it's alan partridge and i just i just love it because partly because there are so many men in the industry who are exactly like alan partridge especially mm. now there was a kind of there was a period between when alan partridge aired and i think probably 2015 so like a good 15 years 20 years or so where there wasn't this kind of shouty angry man on the radio i mean the mm. most that you got was like kind of chris moyles and that yeah. was as as bad as it got and now you've come to a point where the flavor of the month at the moment is just men who will say whatever they want mm. and however they want to say it. And I think that you get two extremes of that. You get people who, I'm not going to name broadcasters or names, <laughs> but like who are on certain channels at certain times of night rather than being on breakfast programs who will just say what they want to say and for the sake of being outrageous and saying mm. it. And then on the other end of the scale, you've got people like Richard Madeley, who I don't really think he realises how ridiculous some of the things that come out of his mouth are. Yes. <laughs> and I don't think he means them to be 
horrific some of the times. Yes, um, yes. And, and I like the more maidly ask route of men in broadcasting. <laughs> and Alan Park, I mean, obviously, there's, there's a whole community on Twitter that I'm part of that is celebrating the joy of Richard Maidley and the comparisons between Richard Maidley and Alan Partridge. Oh, the accidental partridge accidental, Yes, yes. <laughs> and what I love about Alan Partridge is that it's that cringe, it's that, oh, but it's the fact that everybody who, at least everybody who works in media, or you don't even need to work in media to know that person, to know that mm. man. Mm. And it's just, it's just so funny. I just, every time I watch it, even though I've seen it countless times, I still laugh. I still mm. find it really comforting and stupid. <laughs> um, <laughs> even though there are men in, in fact, I think it's part of the reason that I like it so much is because there are so many men who have gone to the extreme of Partridge-esque isms where they will just say what they want on TV or on radio. And then you've got the people who... And they know what they're talking about. They know what it means. And they know sometimes how harmful it can be. And then you've got people, again, like Richard Maidley or like Alan Partridge, who just don't realise sometimes what they say. <laughs> and they don't realise how ridiculous it can sound. And I like going to Alan Partridge because it's like, oh, it's kind of comforting in that kind of, he's not one of the people who is just shouting. <laughs> you yes, know? yes. He's a man who wants to be relevant and wants to be cool and wants to be down with the kids and wants to have the you know prime time slot on Radio Norwich, but <laughs> it's just so awkward, and that's why we love him. I think there's something about that, and it was a partic- a very particular time in the UK. I think there's less of this now, but it was just that thing that the UK is really good at that cringe comedy. Like there are parts of Alan Partridge that are hard to watch, I think, because yeah, it's absolutely. just excruciating. The scenes where the people from RTE come over and uh, Sunday, bloody Sunday, just encapsulates <laughs> the frustration of a Sunday. And it's just the, the two of them. Obviously, I mean, <laughs> one of those people is now <laughs> it's one of the shouty people mm. that we hate. Um, <laughs> but it's just that awkward, like, Oh, I can. I mean, the way that it's written is fantastic because it just makes you feel so ill. <laughs> it makes me feel ill seeing him just making jokes about the troubles. I'm just like, oh, God. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, that, I'm surprised by that as a comfort watch because I do not. I think it's funny, but don't find it particularly comforting. <laughs> What's something you watch a lot of that's outside of your wheelhouse or something people wouldn't expect you to watch? Um, I'm very cynical of reality television, Mm. but I do find myself referencing reality TV quite a lot. Yes. But I mean, maybe that's just being gay on the internet. (laughs) Yes, you did just just do a very funny tweet about Big Brother, which I was (laughs) like... Oh, oh, they were not best pleased. Oh, people were not best pleased about that. Um, those of you who didn't see it i said um i'm doing a project about the elderly in britain if you have strong memories about the channel 4 era of big brother (laughs) and for a good while there was like a good 10 or so quote retweets that were on private and i just know that it was people (laughs) being like who the hell does this man think he is and why is he doing this regularly and there's a there's a very good insight friend of mine called door who just like regularly will respond to things calling me a virus (laughs) <laughs> I swear that David is a, an internet virus that has been created to bully 30-year-old gays. It's like, well, if you want to believe that, that's fine. But, you know, I've got other things to be doing, and you've got other things to be doing, like looking after your French bulldog and, you know, 
looking at sheets on johnlewis.com so you know <laughs> anyway um <laughs> i love certain aspects of reality tv i don't i'm not a big fan of like the mtv style stuff mm. that kind of gets churned out quite regularly but the classics i'm a, I, i'm of the opinion that i lived through the golden age of reality tv when it kind of like series 10 and 11 of the x factor yes and big brother when it moved to channel five especially celeb big brother so i i guess people wouldn't think because i'm <laughs> I tweet like an intellectual. <laughs> I don't think I tweet like an intellectual. I tweet like a moron. Um, but I think that people wouldn't expect me to like that. Also horror. I like some American horror story. Oh, wow. Because I think that the campness of it just balances the gore <laughs> yeah. and the horrificness of it out. And horror, I think, is so often just played for that gore or mm. jump scares, which I just hate. Yeah, AHS has this level of camp that I... A doesn't bother me that much. B, I find it more interesting. And C, it means that it's kind of more well written because you have to think of you have to think of something funny. You have to think of something mm. stupid for the characters to do, or something, you know, glamorous for Jessica Lang to do. Yes. Rather than just the scary ghost appears and frightens people. It's, <laughs> it's why I I like branching off into films just really briefly. It's why I like if I if I'm going to see a horror film, stuff like Paranormal Activity, no, mm. absolutely not. But stuff like Midsommar, which has got mm. like a, an element of camp and has got a smart plot idea and is doing something different, that's what I like. It's when a genre does something different that I sit up and go, "Ooh, that's interesting." Yes. I like the sound of that. So that's why I like AHS because it just feels like it's it's different, really. Do you have a favorite American Horror Story series? Oh, that's like asking to choose between my children. <laughs> Your favourite demonic children. My favourite demonic children. <laughs> I should probably put into a bag and throw into a river. <laughs> um, I think in terms of the one that I found most frightening mm. was Asylum. Because yes. as someone who, you know, very open and talk about this quite regularly, I, I have previous experience of being in a psychiatric ward. Mm. And... I watched it, I think, after I had been in my final stay in a psychiatric ward. And I was chilled to the bone. <laughs> I was chilled to the bone by it because I was like, oh, no. <laughs> a, this is, feels very familiar. But B, imagine that I had gone through what I was going through 60 years ago. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and so I, I find that the most chilling. And also because it's just got great, it's got great storylines. You've got Sarah Paulson being iconic lesbian. Yes. Which, both on, on and off screen <laughs> with Cleo Duvall with oh, what, a, what a time to be alive Cleo Duvall <laughs> although that's just reminded me of hello I'm Shelley Duvall <laughs> hello I'm Shelley Duvall oh there are worse things to be reminded of <laughs> no exactly hello I'm Shelley Duvall <laughs> Jessica Lang in it is I think my favorite of her five is it five characters she did mm. no four four uh, it's my favorite of the four that she did maybe next to Fiona I don't know and I just think it's, yeah, it's really claustrophobic and scary and fun. Yeah, there's lots of fun elements through it. And also Adam Levine gets killed in the first couple of episodes. So that's oh, nice so he does. What a, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so much weird shit happens in that show that I sort of forgot about. <laughs> I think in most shows that would be the... That would be a big moment. <laughs> Adam Levine killed. And in this, it's just like, oh, it's episode two. Adam Levine's dead, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs>
Um, what's an iconic TV moment you go back to again and again? I've got so <laughs> many. I wrote down so many. It's it... Oh, brilliant. Okay, first one. Alexandra Burke and Beyonce. <laughs> oh, of course. Of course. Of course. <laughs> 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 I just love it. I just think it's incredible because it's two of the most powerful vocalists in pop music and I'm yes I'm including Alexandra Broken this because she is incredibly talented mm. just belting it out going hell for leather on like prime time ITV TV it's just it's such an incredible moment to watch and just the full like breakdown that Alexandra has yes <laughs> the only appropriate response to the Beyonce only- <laughs> <laughs> but just like think about how huge that is as mm. like a, it just showed the power of the X Factor because just imagine trying to book Beyonce for a TV show now. Imagine mm. trying to do that. Imagine going, yeah, well, we've got the final. So a few years ago, I got the chance to go to the X Factor final for mm. that year. I can't remember who won. I can't remember what was going on other than it was the year that Robbie was there with Louis Tomlinson and Robbie Williams. Oh, wife. a cursed yeah, time. A cursed, cursed time. And I absolutely, I'd not watched a single moment of the series, but I went because I was getting free booze. And it was a really, <laughs> it was like a fun, a fun event that I could go to. And I remember they did like the equivalent of that but with those, like, the finalists that Aww. year. Oh, my goodness, no, it was dear. It was, was it with it was, Robbie, presumably? Um, no, Robbie didn't actually do it. I think it was, the, the last one was James Arthur. Oh, which God. just Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a real who cares. A, a, who real, cares. a real who cares. <laughs> who cares? Oh, yeah, the other one was good. The other one was Luna Lewis. Oh. Doing One More Sleep with the contestant i was like yes this is my jab and then there was someone else and i can't remember who it was maybe it was robbie it was either robbie or louis it was one of the two i think but i just i was just looking at it was like oh this isn't beyonce i wanted beyonce where's beyonce (laughs) and yeah it's just it's a beautiful moment similarly beautiful moment (laughs) (laughs) i don't know where this is going (laughs) are you ready for this i am i'm i'm holding on to my chair yeah Saturday's first performance on Saturday Night Takeaway. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what a weird moment the Saturdays were. Um, I wish you would take that back. Thank you very Sorry. much. <laughs> I just, I don't know. They The Saturdays walked so that Little Mix could run, but it was such <gasps> a strange Ooh. moment. <laughs> That's fair, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean... I'm a very big Saturdays fan. Mm. I will never not get on the dance floor um, <laughs> when I hear the Saturdays Mega Mix begin. Yeah, that's my favourite song. <laughs> the Saturday- Grammy worthy. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favourite Saturday song? Um, Saturdays Mega Mix. <laughs> <laughs> I also realised quite recently they never do harmonies. If you listen to the songs, they never do harmonies because they don't need to. <laughs> they don't need to. <laughs> For context, the Saturdays went on, they were obviously an iconic girl group in the UK, and for their first two performance, they went on Saturday Night Takeaway, which is, I still think, is one of the biggest TV shows, like live TV shows now, even. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. kind of crazy. Um, that, like, as a kid, I was talking about Saturday Night Takeaway, and it's still on. Mm. 
which shows the power of Ant and Deck, really, doesn't it? Anyway, um, <laughs> but they did their first performance ever on Saturday Night Takeaway, and it starts off with Molly delivering the most bum of bum notes <laughs> to the song Work, and bless her cotton socks. It goes really well afterwards, but um, yeah, it's just her going, whoa. <laughs> I mean, it was no Sarah Harding. Um, oh, I feel oh, like she is. <laughs> no, too soon, too soon. Oh, bless mm. her. I'll say on her bum notes. <laughs> um, oh, I put put down Beyonce at the 2016 Super Bowl. Oh, yes, yes. Because, uh, of course. Yeah. I love that Beyonce's made it twice. Nadia winning Bake Off, I think, is also an iconic TV moment that oh, we should never forget. Yes. Was that the last Mary Berry series? It must I think been. it was the second last. Mm, mm. I think she did one more after that before they gave it to Channel 4. But I, yeah, it's it's the fact that Nadia just kind of has this sudden like faith and belief in herself after winning, and then Mary comes on camera and cries. And it's yes. like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. that's what TV should be about. That's what competition television should be about. <laughs> yes, there's something. I, I think there's a lot to be said about Bake Off, but there's something so uncynical about Nadia and mm. about her winning that just feels I don't know. You don't get a lot of that on TV. <laughs> No, no, you don't. And it's just it's just wholesome and nice. Make off mm. in general is just wholesome and nice. Unless your name is Tom Hetherington and you're doing Caramel Week. Hi Tom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I put I put my final moment. Oh I, I, I picked two moments from Doctor Who because it, it is one of my favourite shows of all time. And I picked either Peter Capaldi's speech in the Zygon inversion or the fugitive doctor, just Joe Martin in general. Oh my god. Oh my god. Like like a proper TV moment that as well. Like I just I just remembered because I, I I was watching it like on my phone, mm. which it shouldn't be. Like previously, I had done like what's it called? I done watch parties with my friends because I've got lots of nerdy Doctor Who friends, and we all watched Doctor Who together. And it was it was the one like day that I was having to work, the one Sunday that I was having to work. I just was watching it on my phone, and I was like, oh, this is really good. I'm really enjoying this episode. It's nice and fun. Oh my goodness. Uh, Captain Jack's back. Isn't that fun? Isn't that exciting at the time? Um, <laughs> um, uh, and then I was like, this is this is going somewhere. And I'm a bit confused as to where it's going. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> and I just wish I'd been in a room with people for that because that's like a spine tingling moment. I feel like we should explain to people. <laughs> We're just oh, like, yeah, yes. we should, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, people that don't watch. I just assume that everybody watches Every, Doctor Everyone Who. watches Doctor Who. <laughs> It's so it's so streamed and so watched. <laughs> oh God bless it! It's uh, oh, it's having it, a moment. But. It's having we we I, I see. So I've loved this era personally. I've really enjoyed it. I have good. I'm glad. I'm glad there's other people that are in my little cult. Um, <laughs> so if you if you haven't watched, what's it called? What's the episode called? I just know it as, um, as Joe Martin's episode, The Fugitive of the Jadoon. Fugitive of the Jadoon. Okay. Um, the Jadoon invades. It's not Leicester, is it? Is it Leicester? Sheff- I think it's Leicester. It might be Leicester. Yeah, yeah. It's not Sheffield because it's because no. it's set elsewhere. I think it's Leicester. The Jadoon massive rhino police invade Leicester, trying to find a fugitive. And Joe Martin plays this tour guide who's like so confused as to why the Jadoon are after her, and the Doctor's like trying to find out why they're after her. And then they go and drive to like a lighthouse where she was like she grew up. Joe Martin grew up and uh, 
<laughs> it turns out that she's a secret incarnation of the Doctor that the Doctor did not know about. Uh, and it's just revealed in this wild way. And it also means that Joe Martin on screen in canon is like the first on screen black Doctor, which just, there was just so many parts of that that are just wild to me. Mm. The fact that the team just like felt, yeah, we can throw everything at the wall and see what happens. But also just the fact that they made it happen. They made a black doctor happen. And, mm. it, you know, Joe Martin in it is incredible. She just, she throws her whole Tardisie into it. And it's just. <laughs> <laughs> she, does. And she does. She does. She does. Uh... <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh she's, my days. She's I'm going to hell for that. <laughs> no, I think she'd appreciate it. I, I think I she'd appreciate it. She <laughs> Do you follow her on Instagram? Mm. I'm obsessed with her. Her socials are hilarious because she's just like fully in the know and she just has, has she's fallen into she's just in love with the show now which is incredible i love when people come to it and they don't know anything about the show and then they just fall in love with it yes yes but she also tweets like a mum in like the best possible oh (laughs) there's a lot of screenshots of things which i just i love it (laughs) i love it i love it but she uh, in that episode just she's not in it as the doctor for that long but she just embodies it so quickly that it's like she's been there forever exactly it's like she's never left our screens and Mm. she just she just she takes to it like a duck to water and there were so many people who were like you know make her the 14th doctor i don't want her to be the 14th doctor i want just a full-blown spin-off series on bbc Mm. 2 where she is like kicking butt and like swearing i want sweary doctor who yes with a sweary scary doctor she she's like badass and she's not got the kind of kindness that jodie has she's like full pedal to the metal i've got a job to do i've got stuff to get on with and if you're coming at me bleating then bog off she's very like the first doctor in some ways Mm -hmm. no she's brilliant she's brilliant i'd love yeah i we definitely need to get an episode of her at some point but i think your your pitch for a tv series is very compelling russell are you listening (laughs) oh he's a big fan of this podcast i'm sure Well, I mean, you've you've had you've had people who've gone on to write for Doctor Who on here That's before. True. That's you true. Have. So I have. So I'll, get, I'll I'll just DM Juno right now and just be like, "Hi, babes, can you pitch this to Russell if that's all right?" Thanks. What are you watching just now? What am I watching right now? Ooh, um, I've decided to do, to be a bit of like my mum. I find myself turning more and more into my mother as I I say as I get older. Um, but like I'm twenty two. Um, <laughs> And there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with turning into your parents in some ways, but just like, I'm just kind of surprised with the speed at which it was going. I decided to watch Silent Witness from the very beginning. Oh, wow. It's all on iPlayer. All like 20,000 seasons of it are on iPlayer. Yeah. If you don't know, Silent Witness is a forensics series which follows a team of forensic scientists as they try to solve murders and cases. And it's really good at like tackling social issues as well. It's really good at like reflecting modern society. Sometimes it is just a kind of murder of the week style type program. But I was just watching, so I've gotten onto series two 
which stars the fabulous Amanda Burton. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very Cyrus accent. Um, it stars Amanda Burton in the first eight series, and then it moves on to um, Amelia Fox, who's great and fantastic, um, and not her brother. So the series um, follows these kind of forensic pathologists, forensic scientists. They try to discover what's happened to this body that they have found every week. But again, it also like reflects society really well so the episode i've just watched in series two this is kind of i think it was broadcast around this this series was broadcast around, around 1997 1998 mm. and it talks a, a bit about the episode at least is about the aids crisis or like the kind of later stages of the aids crisis in the know. 90s and it's dealt with for the most part very compassionately and very kindly and also has like a massive question about assisted suicide and, and euthanasia and religion in all these different perspectives and i think it's quite interesting really that we're still more than maybe 20 years yeah 20 more mm. than 20 years on we're like still having conversations about assisted suicide and whether it's right or wrong and yeah i think it's really good at, i think it's really good at like of having societal issues and also just being a good thrillery murder mystery type situation so that's one of the things i'm watching at the moment that is an interesting choice. Is it one of those shows where <laughs> I think it was so something that my mum watched when I was younger that I w- I've never thought to go back to it? I, I don't think I've ever watched an episode. It's just something that like my mum would be watching and I'd be like, well, this mm. looks really boring. <laughs> like, yeah. I, so that's how I got introduced to it was my mum. My mum used to watch it. Mm. They used to do a series every spring. It was like the first big drama of the year that BBC would like mm. promote. And obviously because of the pandemic, things have shifted and changed around a little bit. Yeah, my mum just used to watch it religiously every year. And we have previously bonded, and we still bond over a kind of murder mysteries. And one of the other first things I remember watching is Poirot and Miss Marple. I was more into Poirot because he was like cool rather than Marple. <laughs> to me was like oh it's this, this old woman who's just like solving murder Ugh. and that's why i prefer her that's cool to me <laughs> yeah but see 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 now then yeah then a few years later i found jessica fletcher and i was like yeah jessica <laughs> fletcher cool what did she wrote that says that says camp fun just an old bag doing <laughs> <laughs> i think now if i went back to it i probably would prefer marple because i i went to watch um oh i went to watch death of the nile the kind of brenner version oh Ooh, um <laughs> And it reminded me how pretentious at points Pyro can be of just like, mm. I'm, the, I'm the smartest person in the room. I'm like so much cooler than you. And I'm like, go away. I just want you to solve murders and like eat nice things and just be a cool <laughs> person. So I probably would prefer Marple. But yeah, it was one of the things that we bonded over is that these kind of murder mysteries. And now that I've had the chance to kind of like watch stuff on my own, I'm like, oh, maybe I want to watch what happened before Nikki Alexandra arrived at the Lyle Centre and uh, <laughs> Jack was there and Clarissa was there. What happened all be- before all of that? Oh, and um, yeah, Liz Carr, is, is that her surname? Yes. Yeah, Liz Carr um, followed me on Twitter a few months back and I was like, oh my gosh, it's Clarissa oh, wow. Mallory. <laughs> It's like the coolest, funniest person on British TV following me. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's always a good. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I when it, although when somebody like quite famous follows me, I always gotta get like weirdly nervous. Like, oh my goodness, yes. I don't, <laughs> you go yes. back to your timeline and be like, oh god, look at the amount of shit that I've said today. Oh, the amount of shit I've said today, and I also, I does this person find this funny? Mm. I. I've recently found that um, Grace Dent follows me. And I was like, why the hell does Grace Dent follow me? (laughs) 
And I think it was because I tweeted that I did one of the recipes from her um, podcast, Comfort Eating. Mm. And it was literally just me putting beans and cheese and and butter onto potato waffles and (laughs) smushing them together. It was the most disgusting, but the most delightful meal I've ever had. Horrific. And now she sometimes interacts. She interacted with the Big Brother tweet and I was like, Grace, why are you here? (laughs) No, not you. You're not elderly. (laughs) She commented, Je telephone à la police. (laughs) amazing oh stars they're just like us stars are just like us and then when i replied with the picture of celine dion from the meme she liked it i was like <laughs> you know too much why oh amazing amazing what is your very special episode okay right so you know how i just did like five ten minutes um shitting on american drama (laughs) (laughs) this is like the american drama the american drama um my special episode is series three episode one of scandal yes i can't remember what the episode's called but um it's handled it's handled of course it is <laughs> they do this thing where they like choose a line from the episode and put that as the title and sometimes i'm like that would have been a better line to put as the episode mm. but that would have been a better line but um yeah it's handled it's olivia handled. pope's signature phrase <laughs> what's your relationship with scandal so circa 2013 we got a skybox in our house for the first oh, wow. time. Posh people. <laughs> Lady Mac. <laughs> it may have been from the back of the truck, I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, all our lives, we had had, like, Freeview, and we suddenly got Sky Plus HD, and um, our lives changed. Because <laughs> uh, finally we could watch, like, Disney Channel, and we would have the kids' subscription. So our lives were just watching CBBC and having to deal with it. Not to say CBBC was bad at all. We love CBBC in this house. But it was, like, a gateway was being opened. But one of the things that... Um, my mum got the entertainment package, and uh, Scandal was on Sky Living. Living! Um... <laughs> <laughs> Which was kind of random because Sky Living Living normally was like Don't Tell the Bride and Got One Tells You How to Look Good Naked and mm. those type of programs kind of directed at what advertisers thought women in their mid twenties to early fifties wanted to watch. My like real connection to Sky Living, my like like a cell memory has woken up. No, Michael, you, you need to say it properly. You need to say it properly. Oh, Sky Living. Sky Living. <laughs> is, um, that when they launched it, all of the images for it were just like beige images of blonde women. Yeah. That made, <laughs> blonde <laughs> that women. AIs. <laughs> blonde <laughs> women on sofas yes. with like a blanket. Yes. Or, with glasses of wine with a group of female friends um, <laughs> or putting on a really cozy jumper <laughs> um, so you you've you've got sky living uh in 2013 we got sky living and um <laughs> scandal for some reason because at this point um they hadn't really thought of a home to put it onto i mean mm. in my opinion it should have gone on, on atlantic because that was where all the big like u.s imported dramas went yeah you would have thought but because it was quite i think i think it's quite soap opera mm. and i think because of that it was put on living um and my mum just started watching it randomly one day and it became a little bit of an obsession in our household we kind of fell in love with olivia pope and i think we also it was like the first time we had seen like gay couples on tv 
and our mum didn't freak out about it. <laughs> uh, or like nobody in our house. I mean, my, my dad had gone by this point. Um, so my mum was just like, yeah, we'll just watch it. And um, yeah, it was it was quite a revolutionary show because it was just, for us anyway, in Scotland, in the middle of nowhere, where we're the only non-white family. Mm. It was having this drama, which had this really powerful black woman front and centre of it. And she was just like in charge took no prisoners i think that was quite powerful for us really um yeah so yeah i think it's a great program yeah i i have to be honest i am totally ignorant of shondaland i've never watched any of these shows what? this is the first time i've watched a... you don't even watch bridgerton not Brit. not even bridgerton what? Um, i don't love period drama that's my my dirty secret but like shondaland i just never i don't know why I don't know why, because I really enjoyed this. And I feel like it's the sort of thing people would expect me to like as well. I don't know why. But um There was a there was a point in history, I say history, <laughs> in the last the last ten years, where um ABC loved her so much that they had Thank God It's Thursday. It would be back to back Shonda Ryan's programs. They would do a new episode of Grey's Anatomy, a new episode of Scandal, and then a new episode of How to Get Away with Murder on a Thursday night. And I guess it shows just the power of Shonda Rhimes as a TV writer to Mm. create these, a very unique, very different tone series where I think Grace is probably the lightest out of the lot of them. Yes, Grace does like murder and death and there's awful things that happen, but like it's set in a hospital and it's not, it's not as heavy as Scandal, which is literally a political drama or how Mm. to get away with murder, which surprisingly there's a lot of murder in it. (laughs) And a lot of legal jargon in it. So it just I guess it shows just her, the power of her, the power of her writing hmm. to create these incredible programs that just last, they last now. You know, it's, yeah. ten, it's, it's more than 10 years. This is probably 10 years since Scandal Series 1 aired. And it's still an incredibly watchable, fun program. Hmm. Definitely, definitely. I am. Um, and I have to say as well, like, I knew that Scandal existed as a show and specifically knew this because there was a <laughs> viral clip of a bunch of girls watching Scandal when Beyonce's self titled album dropped and they all started. Sorry. Freaking out. What? <laughs> um, it was just no, like a, I... this bunch of girls watching the show together and then they all, they're like finding out that this album dropped and they're like, <laughs> like where can we get it? <laughs> And uh, that is my only context for scandal. I don't please think... send that to me because I, I will. need to see that because that <laughs> combines two of my favourite things: Shonda Rhimes content and Beyonce. <laughs> I will. Yeah, so I don't think I even really knew what it was or what she was. Or so she's is she a fixer? Is that what it's called? Is she... So Olivia Pope is actually based on a real person. Okay, I think she's called Judy Smith. I, I'm probably wrong on that, but. She yeah, she's a fixer. So when people have trouble in Washington, she's like their crisis manager. Okay. So if you are, say for example, you're a senator from Arkansas, and um, you have yelled a lot about not allowing equal marriage, and then someone blackmails you with photos of the farm boy that you're having sex with on the side, uh, you would contact Olivia Pope, and she would spin that for you, or make the problem go away or do whatever it is that that, you know was in your best interest and what you wanted and yeah so that's what olivia pope does but the trouble is she's having an affair with a very very powerful man the most powerful man in the world one might say and that is the president of the united states incredible it's like it's so good that you almost think 
why did it take so long for anybody to do the show? Because yeah. it's just such a good premise. It's a, yeah, it's so good. Yeah, it's just written in this really soap opera way, which mm. I love, because there are so many twists and turns, and we'll get into some of them when we talk about this episode, but like... Yeah. There's, throughout the whole series, I mean, there's a kidnapping. Someone tries to kill Fitz, the president. Um, one of the, I mean, we'll get spoilers, by the way. Sorry, we are going to talk about spoilers. <laughs> but just then, um, someone tries to kill one of the, the Grant children. There's a secret jury that try to meet to expose a secret spy organization, and several of them get killed. It's it's mad. It's, mm. it's, it's bonkers banana pants. But that's why I love it, because yes. it is bonkers. And throughout the whole of it, there is this constant love story between two very difficult people who very much love each other. And it's how they kind of get through and get past these insurmountable odds that have been stacked against them. Yeah, I think that was one of the things that I responded to in this. Well, I guess two of the things. The, the fact that she's the main character and she's allowed to be so sort of unlikable to do very unlikable yeah. things i think um just in this episode that i watched and then I, I, I like comparing it to tv in the uk like it's so glossy but also something happens about every two and a half minutes yeah. and it's just <laughs> like what the fuck is going on <laughs> she does not let you be bored is <laughs> they've done something oh no something's happened here oh. <laughs> yeah i mean i just feel like you could have the the eastenders doof doofs at, at, oh, at any goodness, given moment, any, moment <laughs> at any given moment and that's I, I guess that's again that's another difference between like we're saying us and uk is that here our dramas are kind of like especially if you listen to something long running like the archers mm. it's just like well the the cows haven't come in. What are we going to do? <laughs> dum, da, dum, da, dum, da. <laughs> As opposed to this, which is there was a terrorist incident that was actually faked by a fake secret spy organization, <laughs> and my mum was part of the reason that was part of it. Da, 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 da. Oh my gosh, I loved it. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> do we need any context for this episode before we go in? Oh. I mean, <laughs> quite a bit of context because um, it's the first episode of series three um, of the show. And by this point, so Olivia Pope, who's our main character, she has previously worked at the White House and she left the White House um, owing to her relationship that she struck up with Fitzgerald Grant, who is the president, uh, known as Fitz. And in this episode, They've had, they've had an on-off relationship since she's left the White House. Melly, who is Fitz's wife, has found out about it and is kind of using it tactically to her own advantage because she in herself is like a massive political animal and eventually wants to become president of the United States herself. So in this episode, we find Liv in a car within the first minute. Um, her name has been leaked to the press as the White House mistress as the president's mistress. And within the final uh, minutes of the last episode, the, her name got leaked and she was being hounded by the press. She gets into a car and we see her and hear her say the word dad to this mysterious figure who's in the car, who throughout series two, her dad, which we didn't know she, it was her dad, um, has been seen doing shady deals with her new boyfriend called Jake, mm. who is currently in this episode in a hole in a secret spy organization being punished because 
he failed to look after Olivia properly, as I was instructed by her dad. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. <laughs> Although saying that, saying that, I watched this with no context and I felt like I got enough out of it. Like there's something very, there's just something clever about this way of writing that I don't know if I know how they do it but i got enough out of it and i felt like i knew who more or less everyone was by the end of it apart yeah. from i mean there's a lot of people on like olivia's team who okay yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then um i got who her dad was and i got that that was her dad but <laughs> what is he what does oh. he do <laughs> so they call him like an antiques expert or something at one oh, point he's, he's not an antiques expert I so, assume. <laughs> <laughs> so eli pope is the figure that he presents to the world as olivia's dad he is a curator at the smithsonian museum he looks after yes. dinosaurs however rowan which I don't think we ever find out which is his actual name. I'm assuming it's Eli Pope. But Rowan is the name that he uses when he's in charge of the secret spy organization B613, which is uh, operates beyond the CIA, beyond the FBI. It's so top secret classified that throughout most of the first two series, the president doesn't even know it exists. And it is the organization that trained Huck, who is one of Olivia's team members, the broody, scary-looking man with the beard. And they basically train former army members or people who have shown exceptional skills in, in the army or the navy to basically kill people who would bring down the republic in their view but they've kind of gone rogue so taking that like taking down people who might be a threat to the republic could include Olivia or could it just include any random person who might do the republic ill. Or, in fact, trying to guide certain people into positions of power. So it's a very, very shady, secretive operation. And Olivia's dad is in charge of that, but she didn't know until... I think it's either in this episode or later on in the series, I can't quite remember, but finds out that he is in charge of secretive, special, secret organisation. Oh, wow. Okay. That is... Yeah, no wonder I didn't get one. <laughs> I knew he was shady anyway. Um, Basically, he's a very bad man. A very bad man. Um, can you give us a bit of a 60-second synopsis? No, <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay, um, so we come to the episode 22 minutes after episode 1820 of uh, the last episode of series two finished. Live and her dad are driving to an airport and her dad offers to put her on a plane so that she disappears out of the uh, media attention and media spotlight that she finds herself in um, after her name gets leaked to the press as the president's mistress. So she's put on a plane to go to a different country and disappear for a couple of months. But Cyrus, who is the chief of staff to the White House and is one of Olivia's oldest friends, uh, convinces her to stay to get off the plane and to go back in the car olivia then uses this emergency code that was given to her by the president so if there's like a nuclear war if there's a disease if something bad happens she can basically be put into the secretive bunker and kept alive and she uses that code to like force a meeting between herself and president and melly his wife to kind of come up with a plan a strategy as to how they're going to explain the affair to the public because they have no plan whatsoever at this point. Meanwhile, <laughs> <laughs> Olivia's team are, uh, are trying to save her 
in collaboration with Cyrus, and they go back to try and basically save her and to save Fitz. They leak a video which accuses White House Press Secretary Janine Locke of being Fitz's mistress instead of Olivia. And Olivia's like, why on earth did you do that? We came up with a plan. We came up with a solution to solve this problem. She takes on Janine as her client to kind of solve like her image problem and to like try and sell her book that she's going to write and et cetera, et cetera. And it turns out, dun, 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 Fitz was the one who leaked her name to the press so that Melly didn't use it against her and set her free from uh, Melly's weapons arsenal. (laughs) And then the episode ends with Olivia's dad showing Cyrus a secretive folder with some very shocking material in it. Ooh, what could it be? I mean, but what could it be? And that's your more than 60 second write up of what happens in this episode. I mean, it was pretty close to 60 seconds. It was good. Mm. It was good. <laughs> Thank think, you. Um, having only, this is the first episode of Scandal I've ever watched. I <laughs> do now want to know what was in that secret folder that he needed Cyrus's oh, I don't want to tell you. for. No, I'm going to go back and watch it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole lot of stuff with that folder. Oh, don't oh, you just <laughs> What's the stuff you like about this episode? I think it's just a really, like you were saying, it's a good onboarding episode if you've never watched Scandal before. Even though there's a lot that happens, you don't have to understand everything that goes on. But I think it also sets the scene really well for who each of the characters are and what their motivations are. And it does a really good job, I think, of playing up the things that Scandal is good at highlighting. So you've got the politics of it. So Fitz is a Republican, but he's a more kind of like centrist Republican. Mm. His VP Sally is much more evangelical and much more of what we would perceive as Republicans in this day and age. Yes. Rather than what Fitz is, which is very kind of Bush type, like late 90s, early 2000s Republicanism. Mm. In fact, he's probably even more left than Bush. He's like, he's a much more centrist candidate. And I think the probably I think the reason that it's explained that he's a Republican is because of finances and because he believes in low taxes. But he later on in the series has some very like socially just things like forcing police officers to wear body cams and wanting to end the gender pay gap and things like that. It's quite interesting seeing mm. his take on republicanism versus what Sally's take on republicanism is. And what republicanism has turned into in our world, oh, and God, it gets let's hinted, not go into yeah, let's not get into that. <laughs> but like, it gets hinted at like you, it's almost like Shonda Rhimes was writing and predicting bits of the future because there is a very Trump-like figure that appears later on. Oh wow! In the show, who stands as a Republican candidate, and it's, I just think it's quite interesting that this was this was written before Trump took office. And it's so interesting that that side of things is is represented so well. I mm. also really like how I love I love a twist. I love drama, and so <laughs> I, this plays very very well to that. And also, there's there's scenes in this that I really think are good at explaining middle class blackness. Oh yeah, really well. I think it's, I think the scene Rowan slash Eli throughout the show is known for his speeches, and uh, the speech that he gives at the beginning of the episode is possibly his most famous one because it just sticks in the memory so well mm. yes that was brilliant but like i yeah so he gives this very big speech about power and about to saying to live you know you could have you know, had power or gotten off from anyone who was powerful and 
it would have led you to like Secretary of Defense or like Home State Department, but you went for First Lady. You went for the President. Why would you go and do that? Why would you waste yourself away in that position? And then he says, "You have to remember, we have to work twice as hard." to get half of what they have. Did I not raise you for better? How many times have I told you you have to be what? You have to be what? Twice. What? Twice as good. Twice as good as them to get half of what they have. Sleeping with them. You know to aim higher. At the very least, you could have aimed for Chief of Staff, Secretary of State, First Lady. Do you have to be so mediocre? Mm. And I remember watching that for the first time and just feeling that, like, so... Like, I was probably 13, 14 watching that and just being like, oh, wow. Because I think that the representation of, particularly in Britain, the representation of racism so often has been and quite rightly so and it's it's not taking away from anything has been like racism as in mm. a white person says something racist and it affects the character whereas in this scene it is talking explicitly and intrinsically about institutional racism mm. and about the way in which black people and basically anyone who's not white does often have to work twice as hard to get half the respect and half the half the power, half the money. It's such a powerful speech. And that's why, that's one of the reasons that I love this episode is because I just think, it, yeah, it's so good for onboarding. It's also good for just kind of sitting and letting yourself think about those intricacies that mm. Shonda Rhimes writes really well about. Yes, yes. It's so bold as well. I think that's what I, because mm. I, I, I think there's bits later on in the episode. I think the um, the vice president character is maybe mm. a little bit on the nose sometimes. <laughs> but basically, when she's just like, I hate gay people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, you'll love, you'll love this. She then, later on in the show, goes and has her own television news programme. Hmm. <laughs> oh, no. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Sally can be a little bit on the nose as a character, but um, Series 3 is really good for her character development because you kind of get to see her grow and not grow and change necessarily but there's a scene where she talks really emotionally about spoilers everyone if you don't (laughs) want to watch but she ends up being involved in a murder and i won't say who she murders or how she murders them or what goes on but she gets involved in a murder and there's a really really emotional scene where liv is talking to her and trying to like convince her to like not go public about the fact that she killed someone and she talks really Kate Burton does this really great job of like talking about how Sally feels like she can't hear God anymore and she can't hear, she doesn't have her conscience anymore because she killed someone. She, she, she has previously felt that she has had like a direct line to God. And when she tries to pray, when she tries to get something back, it's just silence. And she does this in this really beautiful, like saying to Liv, like, you won't understand. I have to say this to the world. I have to be public about the fact that I've killed someone mm. because... I need that connection with God back again. I need to be open and honest with people so I can have that. And I think that it's so interesting that you, I don't know whether we'd, in drama, still necessarily talk about faith in that way. No. And I no. think that that's, I think that's why it's so, that's why Scandal is so bold to me, 
is because it will touch on these issues and these topics that I think because the, the US is much more in-depth relationship particularly with christianity mm. that i don't think we would touch here necessarily and that's why one of the reasons i love it is because it just will not shy away from issues and we won't shy away from giving people who don't necessarily have a voice a voice like this show is the first in about 30 i think it's the only it's the second only program in the u.s I mean, there probably been more, there have been more since, but at the time, it was the second only program to be a, an hour-long drama with a black female lead. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Second in television history, which I think is just, when you think about it, I mean, now there's, there's been more effort put into things like that, but just thinking about it as a 2012 program when it, when it premiered, second only in, in US television history to be an hour-long drama featuring a black female lead but is wild. It- even in terms of hour-long dramas, I can't think of that many more since then. Like, yeah. There's been that Queen Latifah program, which was, I think, a reboot. But it, 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 that in itself is like, A, it's a reboot, mm. and B, we just had to think quite hard about that. Yes, yeah. Um, I mean, the only other one that I can think of is, is How to Get Away with Murder. Yes, as a that's lead. also by Shonda. But another Shonda, yeah. That's mad, that's mad. Wow. What do you make of uh, Olivia Pope as a as a main <laughs> character? As a main character, she's so difficult because I think what's great about the way that she's written is that Shonda wrote her at first as this kind of very, you want to cheer for her. Mm. So I'm currently on my, I think I'm probably on rewatch number four. I've never actually finished Scandal because I don't like things ending. <laughs> That's one of the reasons I'm a huge fan of Doctor Who is because it will just keep going forever. Forever. Is, it will just not, it just will not stop. And I don't like endings. So I've never really passed the season seven threshold. And what I love about what I'm finding in this time I'm watching it is Liv becomes less and less likable as the series go on. Mm. So I'm on series five right now. And I'm like, oh, I don't know whether I like you anymore. You've become so selfish and so focused. And there are reasons for that. And she explains Mm. the reasons for that. And it's called out in the show. Like Quinn, as the program goes on, becomes more and more of a central character and calls her out and says, you have become selfish. You are a selfish, selfish person. I just love that. I love when a hero is written as a hero, but not is not always heroic Mm. no i think that's what i it's not always good i think that's what i responded to in this because she's she's a i mean she's we come into this episode and she's had an affair with somebody else's husband and he's also the president which is both like an unlikable thing to do and a very very stupid thing to do (laughs) but but the thing about it is with the affair it is so long lasting Mm. And it's it's a very, like, thinking about it, it's a really morally grey programme because you've got the thing that, yes, they're having no fear, but they are in love. They are so in love. And it's not just like, you know, we we both took our trousers down and had a lovely time. They are in love. Mm. And because they're in love, you kind of start putting aside the fact that, oh, well, it's not that bad Mm. because they are in love. It's not like they're just having some sort of sleazy affair. But then... The more and more you watch it, the more questions get asked, the more morally grey it becomes, and the more effect it has on Melly, and the more complicated it gets. So, yeah, I think I think it is. It's not partic- She's not a particularly likable character, mm. but you want to root for her. Oh my goodness, you root for her. 
and you yeah. root for the, the team that she has around her and you just want her to do well yeah it just i think it's like she's unlikable and she's done this or she's done an unlikable thing and a stupid thing but it totally makes sense why she's done it and yes. i think that's what makes this work and what makes it compelling i just yeah i was very impressed by it i mean shonda rhimes is good at writing is not a hot take but she's very, very really good wow michael <laughs> wow someone get that on the someone get that on breaking news Shonda rhimes is great yeah yeah got yeah have you got that shonda rhimes is great writer michael richardson 2022 yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah we'll push that just now great yeah fantastic <laughs> um the thing that the, the scene that i really loved this was um it's that scene in the bunker yeah that one of the aforementioned locations for just a <laughs> real kind of where are we oh we're in this huge great big mad bunker for this scene and it was um melly who I think sort of prior to that scene is so so she's the first lady and prior to that scene is so so sort of buttoned up and I I I love that she pronounces details as details um like a beautiful (laughs) but then there's something there's like a switch in that scene and her voice changes like and it's just like oh you're not her there's a lot of that in series two and there's a lot of that going forward and the more political she gets and the more the affair goes on the more often you see that switch go on i never actually thought about it as a switch i just i'm just used to so used to seeing melly be two different people but it's Mm. you're quite right is that you get melly the first lady who is charming and sweet and has to be and then you get melly the political animal who comes Mm. out so so often that like particularly in the later series to the point where there's no other person because she's running for president that's why and that's one of the reasons that I love what Bellamy Young does with it, who's, who's the actor that plays Melly, is that she has that kind of ability to be sweet and kind of kind, but there's just, there's a little, there's rage, there's rage behind the eyes, and there's mm. anger and there's determination behind her. Melly is, Melly is an angry, angry woman. And quite rightly so, quite fairly so. Mm. You know, her husband cheats on her. There's an assassination attempt made on his life. It's not the fact that it's just some sleazy affair, and they say this in the episode. It's, it's the fact that the two of them are in love. Mm. And she has given up so much. She gave up her career. She gave up. In Later on in, in the series, we find out that she sexually assaulted. There's like so many things that happen to her that she gives up to fuel Fitz's run and Fitz's rise to power. Mm. And so when she finds out that the one thing that she could have relied on, her marriage, the father of her children, is sleeping around with a woman, and not just that, but is in love with her, Mm. it's, it's no wonder that she is so angry and so frustrated and so ready to tear everything down and the great thing about her character is that she dresses in this particular way when she's Mm. first lady which is very prim and it's not very prim but it's very americana it's very it's very republican woman and she has this really sweet southern charm about her and then suddenly there's this kind of there's this viciousness there's this anger there's this white hot anger that it like switches on and all the sweet exterior just kind of disappears or doesn't disappear but it like it becomes she becomes something else in she becomes a political animal in her you know beautiful dress and pinned up hair it's incredible and it's it's very smartly done yes yes 
like yeah and i think that that like there's not a lot of fashion moments in this uh <laughs> in this episode but i think yeah there's something about the way she is presented or she's presenting herself that is so it's just very clever i, I yeah there are other more fashionable moments. Like if you <laughs> if you do have ten minutes or so, you can look up like Olivia Pope uh, outfits oh. on uh, on like Pinterest and on the internet. And um, what's a typical Pope? I mean, there's a white literal white hat phase for a little <laughs> while. Um, Pantsu is like the kind of go to for for live and like long coats and stompy heels, like heels that you can hear across a across a good floor incredible at one point there was a <laughs> there's a scene where she's got like elbow length red gloves um wow. <laughs> she carries around yeah there's there's some there's some moments there's some moments <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else that you like in this episode i like the there's a lot obviously there's a lot of foreshadowing actually just before we talk about those things another fashion moment is um <laughs> vanessa's ugly dress <laughs> I, I don't know if you noticed this. I'm not aware. No, I, I didn't notice. So Vanessa Chandler is a journalist that leaks Liv's name. And then there's a flashback scene where the Secret Service detail <laughs> speaks to her in a bar. And she has the ugliest dress on I have ever seen, which oh, is no. made up of all these random acid colours. I just... Ugh, oh. <laughs> I'm going to go back and look at that. That'll go be the, watch uh, that again. <laughs> that's going to be the image that I use to promote this. <laughs> oh. Ugly, ugly, ugly. Yeah, I, I like that it does a good realistic job of portraying politics and media and how the two interact between each other in the US. And there's a lot of, in the show cutaways to reporters outside the white house or gathering today like um situation where it's like olivia pope has been spotted doing this or that and the other and i think that that's a kind of it adds textures to the show so it's not just big set pieces where people walk into offices mm. but it also kind of i think highlights the interaction between those two sides of the same coin which i love and i also yeah i love the foreshadowing as well so in this episode we see quinn saying well we could just kill an intern that should be fine and she's, a, she's I, I don't know if you saw, she's the one with the dark hair. She's one of Olivia Pope's people. Yes, yes. Yes. I mean, there were so many of them that <laughs> at <laughs> a can, certain point I, can, I was just like... <laughs> I can take you through them quickly if you like. Go for it. Go. <laughs> okay, okay. So there's Harrison, who is like uh, Liv's deputy at this point, who's the one leading the charge in this episode. Mm. Then there's Abby, who's Liv's best friend, that both of them met in college. She's like, sa Olivia has saved each of them in some way. Uh, okay. So harrison was like a massive fraudster uh who she basically got his record wipes clean in exchange for coming to work for her abby her then husband was like uh, a domestic abuser and like beat her up so badly that she was like, like left with like a wire like she's got pins in her jaw and they've basically rescued her from that situation and got him banged away for a little while huck was part of the b613 super spies organization and killed lots and lots and lots and lots of people including torturing them which we do see in some scenes and then quinn oh my goodness quinn is convoluted <laughs> quinn's boyfriend was going to expose a plot to rig the elections for Fitz's first run and he died in an explosion at the computering factory where he worked before he could expose it and Quinn got blamed for it and was given a completely fresh new identity in Washington 
and that was by Liv, because Liv was involved with the election rigging, which we can talk about another day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's more to this story. Oh, my um, gosh. Yes. I'm exhausted uh, just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But Quinn, uh, in this episode, has, like, started to, like, follow Huck and, like, copy Huck. So Huck goes and, like, tortures people. Mm. And at the end of series two, we see her for the first time. Like, Huck loses his bottle and is like, I can't do this. I can't hurt people again. I don't want to hurt people. And mm. she's like, it's okay, it's okay. Grabs power drill, starts drilling into man's knee. Where's oh the Cytron cards? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. There's so a that's why she's to. dark and scary. Yes! <laughs> You've got to watch the rest of it. <laughs> is there anything you don't like in this episode? <laughs> <laughs> having to explain the plot because it's so complicated <laughs> i didn't realize how complicated it was until i was like okay right i'll write some notes down so that michael and i've got stuff to talk about oh well i've got to add the context to this and that's why that person's there and i've got to make sure oh that's there oh and james has oh yeah and then we've got to oh my goodness and then i was like oh right there's a reason <laughs> that you have to just watch it so you can get it because there are literally what seven episodes in series one and then about 20 episodes like 27 episodes of bonkers banana pants content mm. that comes before this <laughs> and this is bonkers and banana pants in itself yeah i i think that i mean that's one of the reasons i often don't like us dramas mm. is because they can be really convoluted and quite complicated but i think that with this i think if you watch it and you just let it wash over you eventually you get to points like this and you're like oh yeah now i know where that person comes from and mm. why that has happened and why that's there yeah, that's that's maybe one of the only things I dislike about it. It's it's one of my favorite shows just because all the characters are difficult and fun, and in some points, most of them are unlikable. Mm. But that's why it's fun to watch their interactions between people, and it's a bit of a tragedy of a program, really. If it was if it was in one of the traditional kind of Shakespearean categories, it is very much a tragedy because. Mm. It's all of these people trying to do their best to protect the people that they love, and it doesn't often go to plan. Mm. Or if it does go to plan, that plan works for a little while and they've got to try something new again. And yeah, that's why I love it. If there's anything else I think of that I don't love about it, I'm not too sure if there is. Um, we don't get to see Tony Goldwyn's top off enough. I think that's something that I find <laughs> kind of sad. And I guess when you get the, there's there is episodes where you will see Tony Goldwyn's top off and you will go, Why? Why did we not get this? more often well so absence got, so, makes the heart grow fonder exactly exactly you'll be looking at it like why is the voice of tarzan now the president <laughs> of the united states and why am i deeply deeply uh, intrigued to see what is underneath his shirt uh, more often uh, what makes this a very special episode for you is there a a scene or a theme that resonates I think definitely the scene where Liv talks to her dad at the right of the start mm. stuck in my mind as a scene of TV that I think everyone should watch because it's just such a, I, I, th I think it's such an important and representative scene and representative lines. It's like, you know, working twice as hard to get half. Mm. It's a different way of looking at racism on TV that isn't, you know, literal Nazism or mm. literal racism. It is a very nuanced way of looking at things and i also i yes it's convoluted and yes i've just said that one of the reasons i don't like it is because it's convoluted but i think it's special because there's a character for everyone i think mm. in this show there's a because there's so many but um also because there are characters that are just in, all these characters are written in such unique ways that have they have unique voices and unique traits and unique things that they do or do not do and um i think that's very important so that everyone kind of has a someone they can 
relate to or resonate with. And I love how morally gray it is. I love mm. characters and stories that are very morally gray because I don't think that we should ever in life just have good and bad because mm. there is no such thing as good and bad. There's no such like, you know, concept. And I think that with superhero, you might have like, I'm, I'm about to go at time of recording, I'm going to watch um, Doctor Strange this evening. Mm. And there are so many films and TV shows at the moment, which are like, there's a good person riding in on the horse with the, the greatness of their, of their might and their, oh my goodness, they're amazing. They're defeating the evil, the evil bad guy. And they're doing really bad things. And so we've got to defeat them. And I like that there are more and more shows coming out right now, which are, even within the superhero universe, within the Marvel universe, like WandaVision, it's mm. such a morally grey program because it's Wanda keeping a town of people under torture, literal torture, because she can't get over her dead husband. Like, mm. that is such an interesting concept because it's like, well, how far would you go in your own grief? And with, with Scandal, it is how far would you go to protect the people that you love and the people that you care about? And would you rig an election? Would you murder their child? Would you go and do all these wild, crazy things? And that's why I love it. And I think that this episode kind of highlights how morally grey some of those choices are. And yeah, that's why I love it, because there's there's no right or wrong answer. It's just... was it right to leak your own mistress's name to the press to protect her is that is that the smart way to go around fate certainly thinks it is (laughs) you know it gets you thinking and gets you questioning and that's why i like it yeah i i feel like that yeah that's i've only watched one episode but i feel like i got all of that (laughs) stuff from it um yeah it's all that moral grayness and all of that just lovely dramatic stuff (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for chatting to me today um it's been a really really good chat that's all right. I'm, I've realised I've just talked at you for most of this. No, just no, that's like, a, I mean, here's that's all this, this fun is. information. <laughs> that's what this is. So, uh, no, that was you did exactly what was asked of you. Um, <laughs> but uh, David Chapaku Paku, thank you for coming on a very special episode. Thank you for having me. And there we go. Another episode in the can, in the bag, in the in the in the something i don't know i'm having quite a strange day today girls i will be back in a couple of weeks i think i'm not going to tell you when i'm not going to tell you where you'll just find me where you find me uh but i will be back soon when my special guest will be chris smith the writer and wig maker extraordinaire chris smith uh, and we'll be talking about documentary filmmaking the episode of community um a really good chat with chris literally six months ago at this point and I just haven't got around to editing it so that'll be a nice little blast from the past for you Uh, and until next time don't touch those dials